Well, that's pretty good to applaud someone for building an offering box. That's, <laughs> you'd have done that sooner if you <laughs> knew it'd be so overwhelming. Uh, but nothing like a baby shower to bring people back to uh, Tuscaloosa. So we're so glad to have Briggs and Anna Kay back with us and uh, Paxson and Sabrina Metcalf from the Uni University of Alabama in Huntsville. So they're back. Won't you greet them? Let them know we're glad to have them back. Boy, what a big, big day it was yesterday. They had it going over there for uh, Grace and Kobe's uh, baby that's just not too far. I think next month is the due date, so they had a great time. And um, Pete Spackman, you don't want to miss uh, him. He, uh, he has a great testimony. I called him this past week to just follow up with him, make sure that uh, he was going to be here. And it, I know the dial tone sounded really weird. And he picked up and I said, uh, Pete? He said, yeah. I said, Pete Spackman? He said, yes. I said, this is uh, Charles Lynn in Tuscaloosa. He said, well, it's 3 a.m. I'm in Moldovia. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> and we're about to leave for the Ukraine. So I think he's getting back to Alabama just before he's supposed to be with us. So pray that his flight won't have any problems. But what a great, great moment that's going to be. You're going to be blessed uh, this coming Sunday. And as far as the membership orientation, if you're just curious about how our church is organized and a uh, statement of faith and things like that, it's, it's really informational. Um, a lot of people have questions about how our church is organized. We're, um, we're kind of like an oddity. Uh, our structure is more like a Southern Baptist local church, and uh, they, they might not like me saying that, but we are very close to how they're organized. But our, our theology <clears throat> leans more toward uh, how Methodism theology is, but it, we're just kind of like stuck in the middle of all of that. But we'd love to have you just stay for lunch. It's a sandwich bar, so we'd like to have you just stay if you're just curious about things about our church. The history, we're going to go over the history, how long this church has been here, and just some, it's not going to be a long meeting at all. Um, boy, what a privilege it is to come in and just worship. Worship the Lord. We had a great Sunday school class. Um, you know, there's many places in the world that believers get together like we are this morning, but they're doing so in danger. Uh, we need to remember those who are risking harm and sometimes death for simply getting together and worshiping how we're doing here with no care in the world. Now, we have a security team out there, regrettably, that's come to that, but we don't have to worry about the government, not yet anyway, coming in and trying to shut us down. Um, but this is why when Jesus is talking to his disciples, I'm going to take you to the Sermon on the Mount if you want to turn there. Uh, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5. But he challenged, he challenged his followers, not late in his ministry, but from the very start of his ministry, because the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to read from was early in his ministry. And he, and he hits it. He, he gets right to the point of what really is important. And so he doesn't wait to the last year, the last six months, the last month, the last week, or that last moment when he's standing in front of them, 500 of them, the last time they will see him physically in person, he challenges them to go and wait in Jerusalem until they're endued with power 
to do what he's called them to do. Not to go and preach, not to start preaching, but to go and wait for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that would empower them to go. And you just, it's amazing how much Christianity spread in the first 30 to 50 years of its existence. They did exactly what he told them to do. Once they received power, they left. They went in all different directions, east, north, west. They went all the way to India. We had an apostle that went all the way to India. Thomas was in southern India, and and history pretty much says he was martyred there. That's how far they went. Paul made it all the way to Spain. You think about within just a short period of time how the gospel spread. And it was all because Jesus made it clear to them that they were not supposed to stay in Jerusalem. They were supposed to go into Samaria, into the other parts of the earth. And they did that. And they did that because he empowered them by the Holy Spirit. So early in his ministry, he's up around um, what is Capernaum, up around Magdala, which is also a, a seaside village up in the northern part of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And he's, and he's got this huge crowd that assembles, and he starts preaching to them. And this is how Matthew 5 starts, about blessed are the poor in spirit. And he goes through all of these that we're talking about, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. But I want to take the last one of those Beatitudes in verse 11 to start with here, and we're going to go from there. This is how he's finishing these Beatitudes, a challenge to the people about what they should be doing with their lives. Blessed are you. Now, wait on it. Blessed are you when people insult you. And persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad when people insult you. I can just see somebody testifying. You can't believe what kind of beat down I got today from a pagan. Call me all kinds of names. It was great. I'm just going to rejoice in how people hurt my feelings today. <laughs> Most of us would walk away wounded, wouldn't we? But he's like, but he's not talking about just causing someone <laughs> to insult you. He said, because when they attack you with these three words that qualified, because of me, that's the qualifier. Not that it's great for, the, for people to go off on you, But if they go off on you, make sure it's because of who you're representing, not because of something you did and you said, right? So that's the qualifier. And he says, be glad that when you're following me to the point that you meet opposition, you're falling in line with what the prophets and all of them had to deal with in years gone past. And this is where Jesus begins to speak of the dramatic impact that he's going to have on those people. Listen to verse 13. This is, and I, I wish they didn't put headings. I don't, if you have your Bible there and they're going to put a heading there, they shouldn't do that. I don't like that. Just ignore that. This is a continual dialogue. It's one of the longest single setting sermons. It is the longest in all of the New Testament. 
Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a continual message, same day, same place. He covers all of these subjects. And right after he talks about, you ought to be glad when people come against you because of me. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, now I should have given you a warning. I'm reading out of the New American Standard, and I know everybody here is probably reading out of the New American Standard. But I just, I chose it because of, it's translated directly from the manuscripts, and there's just some things here that I liked about that, so that's why I'm using it today. So if you've got that option on your phone, just go to New American Standard. And I think it's on the screen as well. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Verse 13, you probably didn't know that you are sodium chloride in the earth. That's what salt is. You're that. He didn't say you have salt. He said you are salt. What does he mean when he's saying to the people, that he's already kind of blessed them. Blessed are you if you do this. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're the peacemakers. You'll be called the children of God. And he goes all the way through this and he says, and you are the salt that this world needs. What did he mean by that? You probably heard, you've probably seen this symbol on some vehicles, salt life. You know what that's about, right? Salt life. It's a group of ocean goers, I guess surfers from Jacksonville Beach, Jacksonville, that decided that they wanted to have this T-shirt made to celebrate those who like the ocean, who like surfing. So I just thought it would be good for me to take off on that and say salt light, that you are salt and light. Salt, why did Jesus use the word salt? The declaration wasn't lost. Now, we think of salt as just something we season food with. And some people like it more than others. But it's amazing how recipes will call maybe for just a dash of salt, just a little bit of salt. And that's how we think of salt. But we think here, you are the salt of the earth. What would that mean in their daytime, in their time frame? This word is found eight times in all of the New Testament, salt. In the New Testament, it's found eight times, but in four settings. And this is one of them in Matthew 5. The next time you find it is in Mark 9, verse 50. It's kind of similar language. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, what will you make it? How will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace one with another. The third time it's used is in Luke chapter 14. It's used multiple times just like it is in these other verses. Luke 14, 35. Therefore, salt is good. 
And even, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the mature manure pile. How about that? It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt has lost its effect and it's worth nothing except to be thrown out on the ground. Now, here's the thing about when they heard what he said about you're the salt of the earth, they knew that he was putting value on them because salt was a valuable thing in that time frame. In fact, some of the Roman soldiers elected to get paid in salt. How would you like that? Have about a gallon bucket of salt and say, congratulations, you did well this week. Well, the reason why salt was valuable, it was used to preserve food. And it was expensive. And so soldiers received their salaries in salt. And if you do the, the search on salary, you'll come back to the Latin that is the word for salt. It started, salary got its root in Roman soldiers getting paid with salt. It's kind of like we have to intentionally make our minds think that when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he was putting an incredible value on them, not just because it was valuable, but because the way it was used. They could barter. Once they got the salt, they could barter, probably make, get more material benefits from that than if they would have coins because not everybody operated that way. So the point is, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You have an effect that through me, you have a sphere of influence because you're salty. You're salty with me. So the fourth and final reference is in Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, let your speech always be with grace. This is an interesting combination here. We don't, we don't put grace next to salt, but he does in writing Colossians. Paul writes this, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how, to, how you should respond to each person. The flavor of grace is salty. It influences people. It influences their lives. There's a book that was written by a young lady, a young lady named Becky Pippard. And I mentioned this to one of the Chi Alpha leaders uh, yesterday. Out of the salt shaker and into the world, evangelism as a way of life. And that has always captivated. It's a great book. It's an old book by InterVarsity Fellowship. And she was a college student, and she was having people come to her dorm room with her friends, and they were witnessing to them. And she goes through the throes of how she had to become more attentive as a person of salt coming out of the salt shaker. And when I, when I think about this verse, I always think about that book, that salt does not do us any good as long as it stays in the salt shaker. He says, you're the salt of the earth and you do no good being salt of the earth if you stay away from using it. Using your influence, using your effect, how God has affected you, made your life, we can say made your life a grace-filled life, but also made your life salty. You have a flavor about you in salvation that's like salt. It is meant to be an influence to other people. 
But then he adds this in verse 14. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know that just like you are the salt of the earth, he says you are the light of the world. He didn't say you had light, that you should use light. He says you are light. You are a brilliant light in this world of darkness. You are the light of Jesus to, to this world. And we are a light to our world. So what are we doing with that light? <clears throat> Think about this. Just take some time to mull over these verses that really talks about you and I and our influence in the world around us. You are the light of the world. Shine your light. Let your light shine. Be conspicuous. A city set on a hill cannot be ignored. You see it. It stands out. And we look for a light. We look for something to radiate so that in darkness we can see where we're going and what we're doing. No one lights a candle and put it under a basket. Now, in my age group, we had a song that we would sing. This little light of mine. This little light of mine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. It does this. Put it under a... No. Yeah, you had to, you had to like get it. You know, the, the lady directing you after Sunday school, bring you all in and just, no, no, you don't put it under a bushel. Don't ever do that. And we're just like, yeah, no. As kids, we know we don't put it under a bushel. So why would someone light a candle and put a cover over it. This is why he's trying to make sure what he's getting across to them. You don't take the light that you have in the Lord and cover it up. It makes no sense to cover it up. Let your light shine. In fact, when you see that admonition, it's almost as him saying, the light in you wants to shine. Let it shine. It's wanting to break out. It's wanting to project Jesus. That song comes to my mind when I, when I think about this verse. And Jesus draws a connection between the light and for us shining it, revealing who Jesus is. He says, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. They'll see this in such a way that they'll see what God is doing in your life, the good works that he's doing in your life. Not the good deeds we do, but the good things that God is doing in and through us. It's almost as though, if not direct, that Jesus infers that you and I have from him that all he wants is to let him shine through us. Not make him shine. Let him shine through us. That they may see your good works. Now, they won't necessarily think about how great you are, but they'll know how great he is. And they'll be drawn, they'll be drawn to him through letting our light shine. You know, the tragedy of the church today is the embrace of the idea that the gospel should not be offensive. Hear me out. The tragedy today 
And churches and church leaders sometimes have projected the idea that the gospel should never be offensive. I'm reminded of someone saying that everybody loved Jesus. He, he, he loved everybody. Everybody loved him. And the evangelist responded to that, yeah, they loved him so much they killed him. Why did they kill him? Because he was light in their darkness. And they did not want him shining light into their darkness. So they thought they could do away with him so that their darkness would no longer be revealed. And the gospel is always going to be as a sharp double-edged sword penetrating a person's life. We will never as believers ever get to a place where evangelism will have no negative encounters. And this is what he's getting at. That this light is going to shine and you can get ready for it to fall back on you in rejection. Listen to what Jesus said in that great chapter 3 that John records. Listen closely to what he said about light and darkness. In verse 19 of John 3, this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And who is that light? It's Jesus. And the only reason we become light is through him. He's the light that shines through us. But listen to what he said. Men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. People do not like the light bulb turned on when stuff is going on they don't want revealed. And they'd rather have the lights off so that they can have some kind of concealment. And, and we think that, that God is never going to shine light on stuff that we think we've hidden. And we've hidden back in our lives. And yet he's got light that he's going to shine on that. He can, he can shine it personally and, and just in the privacy of your life. And you come to the reality that this is something I should stop doing. This is something that dishonors him. And in that conviction... His light wants to radiate in our own souls to drive out the darkness from our lives. The things that we don't want the light to shine on, he will shine it so that we can be free of that darkness. Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light. It's just not that they love darkness. They hate the light. And that does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God, Jesus, the true light. He separates the crowds. Everywhere he went, he separated the crowd. He did not speak in generalities. He, he spoke straight and direct to the people that was in front of him. And he did not excuse sin when it was in front of him. He spoke it. He revealed truth. Truth and light are synonymous. Sin is sin. Sin always is going to cause pain and loss. And this is why he's come to deliver us from sin. You know, the, the, the way the service it kind of focused on things that are hidden in people's lives and that all of that is subject to the removal by the power of God. 
The power of God can break every chain. It can set the captive free. It is the power of God. There's no sin that can withstand the power of God. Now, this is where the enemy convinces people otherwise. It convinces them this is, this is like, and even begins to excuse it because you're not the only one that has this and other people have this problem and, you know, nobody's perfect. And, and we start rationalizing away stuff that is damaging our soul. And what he wants to do is shine his light to drive out that darkness, but he has to reveal his light to us to show us that this cannot stay. This thing that we have that we don't want anybody to know about, we don't want it to be talked about, and yet he will shine his light and he will, in shining his light, let you know that it has no power against him to set you free, to set us free. Truth, truth will set us free. You will know the truth and the truth will set us free. It can almost, you can plug in light somewhere. When the light comes on, it will set you free. He is the light and he is in us in such a way, he says, now you are a reflection of my light. You're the light of the world. It's been a busy week this week, as for some of us. And today's probably going to start another busy week. But before we close service, I, I, I want us to think about something that the praise team can come back up. Um, if you're here and you really haven't fully committed your life to the Lord, His grace awaits you to say yes for you to respond to him, to give your life to him. That phrase in the goodness of God, with my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. I give you everything. Maybe there's someone here this morning that, that you're prompted. There's a certain thing you need to surrender to him. There's something you need to let go of. Would you stand with me? His grace, His grace will transform us to give us a new birth to save you, not only from sin, but not only from the darkness, but sometimes, you know, sometimes the Lord needs to save us from us. I don't know if you've ever prayed that. I've, I've prayed it. Lord, save me from me. Save me from these tendencies. Deliver. If you bow your heads with me just for a moment. You know, Revelation 3 talks about, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I just, he just knocks. He won't break the door down. He won't push the door open. He waits for the person on the other side to turn the handle and say, and maybe the only thing you can't say is, God, help me. Save me. Deliver me. And that'll be enough. It was said earlier that the only thing that thief said to him, remember me. And that was enough.
but he opened the door. See, he opened the door. Stand to the door and knock. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, you say, you know, there's things in my life I have not really surrendered to them, but I know for me to be free, I need to let go. I need to let go of it. I'm tired of battling a certain battle or battles. Now, no one looking around, if you lift your hand to say, that's me, I need to let go of something. If you lift your hand, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for God to shine his light and set you free. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? How he wants to change us. cleanses us from sin, washes us. And it's not just maybe battling sin, but it's, there's been a pain in your life that you just seem you can't get past somebody that did hurt you. Maybe years ago, and it resurfaces from time to time. Wants to take that away as well. He wants to heal hearts in this room that are still carrying wounds. Oh, the goodness of God. Would you pour your goodness, Lord, here in this room? May you pour out your healing power in this house, Lord. And if you're battling a physical ailment, mental pressure emotional trauma it doesn't matter his truth, his life his light will bring healing and bring deliverance so I like to for you to just come and stand across the front this morning and let him heal you let him minister to you as we worship